Grace and peace to you, friends. Welcome to The Oak Tree Journeys. My name is Mandy Oaks, and this is the Encyclopedia Challenge. So welcome. Uh, today is January 9th, 2022. Happy New Year. Appreciate you coming. Thank you so much to my listeners from Australia and to my listeners from France, as well as the U.S. If you are new here, uh, you may wonder if you have to read the encyclopedia in order to participate. And no, uh, you do not have to read the encyclopedia. That's what I do for you. I read from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 and the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So I want to thank you again for coming. And um, I just wanted to say a few things since this is the new year. Uh, I wanted to ask you if you've made any New Year's resolutions, and last week I asked you. Um, I haven't, um, but and I'm not going to. I decided not to, but if you have, let me know. Uh, you can contact me um, at theoaktreejourneys.com, or you can email me at my email address, mandyoaks at protonmail.com, and both of those are in the description of this podcast. Um, but... As my friend, pre-Warren, sent in her newsletter, every day can be the new year. January 1st does not have to be the new year. Every single day can be the new year. So when you wake up, it can be the new day of your new year. If you don't know who pre-Warren is, uh, she is an author of Sin and the Peanut Butter Cup, along with four other books and a short story slash novella from Love Gone Viral. She also hosts the Writer's Block Party podcast with Meredith Bond. If you need a good laugh or if you're interested in writing or you just want to listen to a new podcast, I highly suggest listening to their podcast, the Writer's Block Party podcast. Before we begin our list of entries, uh, let's go over our monthly quote. If you remember from last week's podcast, I had a lot of fun uh, with the quotes. I really liked Johann Wolfgang von Goethe's quotes, so I just kind of sprinkled them in uh, to last week's podcast. So if you missed that, uh, go to uh, theoaktreejourneys.com and select uh, podcasts, or you can go to the Encyclopedia Challenge and go to S1 slash E46. It was Season 1, Episode 46, and today is Season 1, Episode 47. But our monthly quote uh, is perfect uh, for the new year. And it is, whatever you think you can do or believe you can do, begin it. Action has magic, grace, and power in it. And again, that is by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. And our list of five, the first five words. If you remember, we uh, stopped at Alphonsine last week. So we're at uh, Alphonsine Tables. And then we have Alfonso. Alfonso the first, Alfonso the second, and Alfonso the third. And there's a special note if you're on the website um, for Alfonso. I did not like the way that the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 divided the Alfonsos. Uh, they just kind of haphazardly stuck them in there as separate entries. So we will be in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 this entire time for all of the Alfonsos, with the exception of seven, which we will go back and read the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, and then we'll switch over to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. Um, the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 did not have all of the Alfonsos either. They just have seven. And they're, again, like I said, they're in just this really weird order. Um, but we're going to take care of that by going to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. Okay, and without further ado, our first entry is Alphonsine Tables. And we are in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 for that one. But it only says, see Alfonso Tenth. And we will. We will see Alfonso X in entry number 24. So we will find out about the Alfon Alfonsine tables um, in this podcast. So yay. Okay, entry number two is 
Alfonso, and we are in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So Alfonso, and this is just kind of an overview of the Alfonsos, it's the name of five kings of Aragon, two kings of Naples, six kings of Port Portugal, and 13 kings of Spain. Now, the great thing about the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 is they do have it divided into the areas. So we will be in Aragon for entries number three through seven. So we are in, in uh, Aragon, and that will be on the website as well. So whenever you get to the list of words or entries for season one, episode 47, I do have it in, in the categories uh, that the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 has. Okay, so entry number three is Alfonso I from Aragon, and he was known as the Bat Badler. Battler. <laughs> Died September 7th, 1134. There's no birth date on here. King of Aragon and Navarre in 1104 by his marriage in 1109 to Uraca, daughter of Alfonso VI of Castile and herself Queen of Castile and Leon. He shared with her briefly the sovereignty of the four kingdoms, a true knight of the Middle Ages, he delighted in warfare. He fought against the armies of his wife when her people rejected him as king, and he was perennially at war with the Moors. In 1118, he defeated the Moors at Saragossa, and in 1125-1126, to drove them back from Valencia and Granada to the sea. His unhappy marriage with Uraca, his third cousin, was annulled by Pope Honorus II. He died soon after a desperate lost battle with the Moors near Braga. Okay, entry number four. Uh, Alfonso II, he was also known as Alfonso I of Catalonia. He was born 1152, died Perpignan, April 25th, 1196. He succeeded his father, Raymond Berniger, as Count of Barcelona. And two years later, his mother, the Queen of Aragon, renounced her rights to the throne in his favor in 1164. A protector of the troubadours, he was himself a writer of provincial poetry. So that's pretty cool. Okay, and entry number five before break is Alfonso III. He's also known as Alfonso II of Catalonia. Born 1265, died Barcelona June 12, June in 1291. The eldest son of Pedro, Pedro III, he succeeded his father in 1285. A weak and ineffective ruler, he supported his brother, James, destined to succeed him in his claim to the throne of Sicily, but soon abandoning his brother's cause, he recognized papal suzerainty of the island. Okay, and with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. We will continue um, in the Aragon Alfonso's with Alfonso IV and Alfonso V. And then we'll switch over to Naples Alfonso's, which will be Alfonso I and Alfonso II. And then we'll go to Portugal. We'll begin Portugal with Alfonso I. Okay, and let's go to Alfonso IV of Aragon. He was also known as Alfonso III of Catalonia. Born 1299, died Barcelona, January 24th, 1336. Succeeding his father, James II, in 1327, his short reign was disturbed by civil uprisings. In 1323, before his accession, he conquered Ceredonia, where later a revolt involved him in a war with Genoa. And with Alfonso V, uh, we will go to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 first. So let me make sure I'm on the right entry because, as I mentioned, these are completely out of order. Um, I mean, just completely. So, okay, I've got them marked. Okay, so Alfonso V, King of Aragon, Naples, and Sicily, reigned from 1416 to 1458, died 1458, received the surname of the Magnanimous because uh, on his accession to the throne, he destroyed a document containing the names of all 
the grandees who were hostile to him. His historical importance arises from his having brought southern Italy under the dominion of Aragon. In 1420, he attacked Corsica, but speedily hastened to Naples at the request of Queen Joanna II, who besought his assistance against Louis of Angel. For some time, he enjoyed the highest favor, but in 1423, having thrown into prison her minion, Caracalli, who was his enemy, the queen declared for his rival Louis. At her death in 1435, Alfonso V resolved to claim the kingdom, but René of Anjoy, whom Joanna had appointed her successor after the death of Louis, opposed him. Rome and Genoa sided with René, and the Genoese fleet attacked and defeated that of Alfonso V, the monarch himself being taken prisoner. He was sent to Duke Philip of Milan, who, charmed by his manner and talent, sent him at liberty and even formed an alliance with him. After several battles and a long mountain war in Abruzza, Alfonso V overthrew his adversary and entered Naples in triumph. Having once firmly established his power, he proceeded to suppress the disorders which had sprung up during the worthless reign of Joanna and honorably distinguished himself by his patronage of letters. He died at Naples while his troops were besieging Genoa in 1458, June 27th. Okay, and let's see what uh, the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 says about him. So let's switch over there. Okay, so Alfonso V, known as Alfonso IV of Catalonia, called the Magnanimous, born 1385, died July 27, 1458. He succeeded his father, Ferdinand I, to the throne in 1416, ruling also over Sicily and Sardinia as Alfonso I. In 1420, he assisted Queen Joanna II of Naples against Louis III, rival king of Naples, and as a reward, Joanna promised to make him her heir. But in 1423, they quarreled, and when Joanna died in 1435, she bequeathed her domains to René II of Anjoy. A few years later, Alfonso attacked René, captured Naples in 1442, and the next year was acknowledged its sovereign by the Pope. Leaving his Spanish territory under the rule of his wife and brother John, he lived thereafter in Naples, maintaining a brilliant Renaissance court. A celebrated patron of arts and letters, he did much to beautify his capital. So we got a little more um, in that one, but we got more details in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary. So we, we know why they quarreled and how it happened. Um, so I think having both really helped out um, to see the, the bigger picture. Okay, and with that, let's go to Naples. So the Alfonsos of Naples are Alfonso I and Alfonso II. And for those two, we are in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. We don't switch over. So entry number eight is Alfonso I, who is also known as Alfonso V of Aragon. He is king of Sicily, 1416 to 1458, and of Naples, 1443 to 1458. It says, see Alfonso V of Aragon, which we just read. Okay, and entry number nine is Alfonso II, king of Naples, born November 4th, 1448, died Messina, December 18th, 1495, the son of Ferdinand I of Naples, who was a natural son of Alfonso V of Aragon. The magnanimous, he became Duke of Calabria in 1458 when Ferdinand Seated the throne. He commanded Neapolitan forces in the endemic internecine wars of the time and became king on his father's death, January 25, 1494. When Charles VIII of France threatened the kingdom, he abdicated in favor of his son on January 23, 1495, who ruled as Ferdinand II and retired to Sicily. Okay, and entry number 10 begins the the Portugal Alfonsos. So Portugal um, will be from 10 to 15. So, and then uh, entry number 16 will begin Spain. So Portugal number 10. 
Alfonso I, first king of Portugal, born Guimarães in 1109, died Cumbria December 6, 1185. He succeeded his father, Henry of Burgundy, Count of Portugal in 1112, and was placed under the tutelage of his mother, Teresa, an ambitious and unscrupulous woman. He wrested the management of his affairs from Teresa in 1128, when he declared himself sole ruler of Portugal and proceeded to lead his armies in victories over Leon and Castile. The Treaty of Zamora, arranged in 1143 by the Pope between Portugal and Castile, recognized Portugal as a separate state. One of the most famous knights of his age, Alfonso opposed the Moors and in 1139 inflicted a crushing defeat on them at York. Proclaimed king of Portugal in 1143, he received the crown from the Archbishop of Braganza before the assembled Cortes of the Kingdom of Lamigo. With the aid of English, German, and Flemish crusaders, he liberated Lisbon from the Moors in 1147 and some years later was again at war with Castile Taken captive in 1169, he was freed on payment of a large ransom. In 1171 and again in 1184, he took the heavily fortified river port of Santerum from the Moors. And I do apologize, I did not look at my notes. I am going to switch over to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 because Alfonso I is in both. So that was from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So let's go to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And Alfonso I, earliest king of Portugal from 1110 to 1185, son of Henry of Burgundy, conqueror and count of Portugal. At his father's death, he was only two years of age and the management of affairs fell into the hands of his ambitious and dissolute mother, Teresa of Castile, from whom he was compelled forcibly to seize it on attaining his majority. He then entered on a war with Castile, whose supremacy he did not recognize, and leaguing himself with Navarre, made several conquests in Galatia, after which he proceeded to attack the Moors, whose invasions he had already begun to check by building the fortress of Lyria. A battle was fought in the plains of York in 1139, July 25th, when victory declared for the Portuguese after a bloody struggle in which it is said not less than 200,000 Moors perished. From that day, Alfonso I assumed the title of king, which the Pope confirmed. He took Lisbon by the help of the English fleet of crusaders 1147, October 25th, and in 1158, after a siege of two months, made himself master of Alcazar del Sol and Evora. In 1171, he took by assault the fortress of Santerum from the Sacerans and annihilated the garrison. And at the same place, he defeated the Almohadian ruler, Joseph ben Jacob, in 1184. He invited to his land the Knights Templars and the Knights of St. John and established the orders of Avis and of St. Michael. The Portuguese style him El Conquistador, or the Conqueror, but he was also a legislator, establishing the Cortes of Lamigo, and promulgating a code of laws relating to the order of secession, the privileges of nobility, the administration of justice, etc. He died at Cumbria, December 6, 1185. So we've got a bigger picture now from both. So I think we did need to read from both. And with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. Continuing with Portugal's Alfonso's, we will go through Alfonso II, the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. And uh, we will be in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 for the first four, and then we'll switch over and read from both on the 15th entry. Okay, so entry number 11 is Alfonso II, and uh, he was also called, and, and I would hate to be known for this, it was called Alfonso o Gordo, or Alfonso the Fat. So, uh, yeah, that's not something you want to be known for. But born Cumbria, 1185, died there in 1223. 
the son of Sancho I, he succeeded his father in 1211. His reign marks the beginning of the Portuguese king's conflict with the clergy over property and taxes. In consequence of his anti-clerical activities, he was excommunicated by Pope Honorus III. Continuing the Portuguese conflict with the Moors, he won a decisive victory over them in 1217 at Alassar do Sal. So there's not much said about him. Um, I wish they would tell us why he was known as Alfonso o Gordo, but I guess it's self-explanatory. In entry number 12, Alfonso III, born 1210, died Lisbon 1279. The son of Alfonso II and younger brother of Sancho II, he succeeded the latter in 1248 when the Pope deposed Sancho as an enemy of the church. Since his title to the throne was weak, Alfonso was dependent on the Cortes and was the first to allow the commons to be represented. In 1250, he wrested the province of Algorve from the Moors and in 1253 signed a peace ending the war with Castile. He was excommunicated in 1254 on his marriage with Beatrix de Guzman while his first wife still lived. Okay, and before we continue on to Alfonso IV, um, I do want to mention that I am recording this a little early because I will be traveling uh, whenever this uh, needs to post. Uh, and I woke up this morning and this just complete white, beautiful gorgeous snow this is the second snow of the winter and of the new year uh absolutely gorgeous uh, i do have to say though that uh, i don't like driving in it because not only did it snow it got so cold and it rained so much that the roads are completely iced over so i don't look forward to driving in it um but it is gorgeous so it is very beautiful and god is just amazing. It just reminds me that how great God is. So I, I love the beauty, the beauty of the snow. So I'm very grateful. And my little fur baby, this was her second snow ever in her life. She's almost two. Uh, she didn't see, she didn't see grass until she came to, to me. So, you know, this was her very second snow and she freaked out the second time she freaked out the first time and then she freaked out again this morning whenever I took her out about four o'clock in the morning her eyes got really wide and she tried running away and I was like no 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 you need, you need to go out so so it was really cute but anyway without further ado let's go to entry number 13 because you're not here to, to hear about my life you're here to learn and listen to the encyclopedia so entry number 13 Alfonso the fourth who is also called the Brave. So that's pretty cool to be known as the Brave. Born Combra, 1290, died Lisbon, March 12, 1357. The son of Dines, he succeeded his father in 1325. Although intermittently at war with Castile, he joined forces with it in 1340 and defeated the Moors at the Battle of Salado. His reign was crippled by a disastrous civil war with his son, Pedro, whose mistress and eventual wife, Inez de Castro, was murdered at Alfonso's behest in 1355. However, the father and son were eventually reconciled by the Archbishop of Braga. Ugh, that's kind of chilling. Kill your daughter-in-law. Okay, entry number 14, Alfonso V, who was known as the African, Born Sintra, 1432, died 1481. Succeeding his father, Edward I, in 1438, he spent his minority under his mother, Eleonora of Aragon, and then under his uncle, Dom Pedro. On reaching his majority, Alfonso asserted his right to the throne and in 1449 defeated and killed his uncle at the Battle of Alfarbera. Alfonso's series of successful invasions of Africa began in 1458. In 1463, he captured Casablanca, and in 1471, Transkiers. In 1476, attempting to seize the throne of Leon and Castile, he was decisively defeated at the Battle of Toro. Compelled to abdicate, he resumed power when his son John declined the crown. 
During his reign, P Prince Henry the Navigator continued the important voyages of discovery initiated by the Portuguese. An enlightened and chivalrous ruler, Alfonso, in 1446, drew up the Ordenços Afonsinas, Portugal's first great law code. He also founded Portugal's first library at Coimbra. So that's pretty cool. So he founded the very first library, as well as the first great law code. Okay, and as promised, entry number 15, Alfonso VI, uh, we will go to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, and then we'll switch over to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. Make sure I've got the right one. Okay, yes, Alfonso VI, King of Portugal, reigned 1668 to 1683, second son of John IV. He was at first expected to enter the service of the church, but the death of his elder brother in 1656 altogether changed his plans. Being then a minor, the government of the kingdom was entrusted to his mother, Luisa de Guzman, a woman of great wisdom and prudence. Oh, that's good. Who felt it her duty to retain the power in her own hands even after Alfonso VI had reached his majority. For the sickly and dissolute prince displayed little aptitude for business, but the court minions, who had their own reasons for wishing him to rule, urged him to remove his mother from her office. This was accomplished in 1662. The minister, Count Castile Melhor, a mere trifler, possessed supreme authority. Nevertheless, Portugal was victorious in the war against Spain, although for this, she had to thank her English and French allies. In 1666, Alfonso VI married Maria Francesco Elizabeth of Savoy, who, however, soon conspired with his brother, Pedro, against him. The plot succeeded. Alfonso VI was seized and imprisoned at Sintra, where he died 1683, September 12th. Pedro then obtained the throne and married the widow of his brother. That's craziness. Okay, let's go to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 to see if they can add anything to it. And, uh, we'll find it. Okay. So Alfonso VI. And this one does add something to it. Uh, and I do have it noted in, uh, on the website, the, the oaktreejourneys.com under Encyclopedia Challenge for, uh, S1 slash E47. Alfonso VI is also known, ironically, as the Victorious. So he's ironically called the Victorious. Born 1643, died Sintra 1683, the son of John IV of the House of Braganza. He was paralyzed. Okay, so here we do have more information. So he was paralyzed at the age of three and on accession to the throne in 1656, proved a desolate and frivolous ruler. Under the influence of the unscrupulous but able Count Castello Melhor, he drove his mother the queen regent from court in 1662. The Count then reorganized the army and the following year repulsed the Spanish invasion of John of Austria, thus earning Alfonso his ironic sobriquet. After Alfonso's marriage to Marie-Francois of Savoy in 1666, the young queen and Alfonso's younger brother, Pedro, fell in love, overthrew Castello Melhor, and forced Alfonso to abdicate in favor of Pedro as Prince Regent 1667. The queen had her marriage annulled and married Pedro, who succeeded to the throne after his brother's death in 1683 as Pedro II. From 1667 to 1674, Alfonso was confined in the Azores and subsequently at Sintra. So they don't tell us uh, how wonderful and wise his mother was in this one. Um, but we do know that he was paralyzed and that's why she sought to, to hold on to the throne. So, okay. Well, I'm glad we re read from both. And uh, with that, let's go to a break. And welcome back. For our next uh, section, we will be in Spain. So the Alfonso's from Spain. And that's from numbers entry number 16 through 27. So after 
27, so on tw entry number 28, we will end the Alfonso's. Uh, so now we have Alfonso the first through the fifth for this section. And Alfonso the first, who is also known as the Catholic, uh, born in 16, or, I'm sorry, not 16, 693 with a little question mark, died in 757. The son-in-law of Peleo died 737. First king of Asterius, who began the Christian reconquest of Spain. Alfonso, second king of Asterius, recovered from the Moors parts of Lucia, Leon, and Santander. So that's all they have to say about Alfonso I of Spain. Okay, Alfonso II is entry number 17, and he was known as the Chaste. So Alfonso II, the Chaste, which is pretty cool. So they've got another question mark here. Uh, born 759, so question mark, died 842. Son of Fruella I and grandson of Alfonso I, he was king of Austrias from 791 to his death. Making Oviedo his capital, he prosec prosecuted the endemic war with the Moors. The nobility opposed his alliances with Charlemagne and the latter's successor, Louis I. So they don't have much to say about him either. Okay, and with entry number 18, uh, we do go to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So this is Alfonso III. It's Alfonso III, and he was surnamed the Great King of Leon, Austria's, and Glacia. And here they've got his birth as 848, and remember that. So he lived from 848 to 910. It's going to be a little bit different in the Encyclopedia Americana. He succeeded his father, Ordano I, in 866, but had to maintain his rights by force of arms against Count Foyla, who had usurped the throne. Having caused the latter to be murdered, he proceeded sternly to reduce to obedience the powerful nobility of the kingdom who looked with a jealous eye on the monarchy remaining in one family and then carrying his arms against other enemies he fought through more than 30 campaigns and gained numerous victories over the moors he crossed the doro broke down the walls of combra penetrated to tagus and estremadura enlarged his territories by a portion of portugal and old castile and repeopled the conquered and desolated Borgus, but these wars entailed great expense and misery on the nation. In 888, Alfonso III had to endure the pain of beholding the head of a rebel army of his own son, Garcias, who wished to seize the crown, although pretending a simple desire for the prosperity of the commonwealth. He collected his forces, conquered his son, and threw him into prison. For Garcias's mother, by the help of several of the grenades, Grandees excited a new conspiracy, which resulted in the abdication of the monarch in favor of his imprisoned son. In order, however, to be still useful to his country, he became commander of Garcias's forces in an expedition against the Moors. After returning in triumph, he died at Zamora. Okay, so that was from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So let's see what the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 says. Let me make sure I'm in the right section. Okay. So here we go. Alfonso III, called the Great. And here they've got his birth date or birth year as 838, question mark. Died Zamora at 910. The son of Ordano I during his rule, 866 to 909. The kingdom of Austrias was united until his forced abdication divided it among his three sons, Garcia, Ordano, and Fruella. His brilliant victories against the Moors earned him his appellation. So basically, they don't have much to say at all about him, which is unfortunate because he has a very rich history, uh, according to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. Okay, in entry number 19, uh, we are sticking with the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So number 19 is Alfonso IV, who is also called the Monk. So Alfonso IV was known as the Monk, died 933. 
So there's no birth year here. The son of Hordano II, he commenced his reign as king of Austrias and Leon in 925. Distracted at his wife's death and conscious of his incapacity as a ruler, he abdicated in 930 in favor of his brother, Don Romero, and retired to a monastery. Later, changing his mind, so maybe his brother wasn't doing, doing a very good job, he invaded Leon in an attempt to recover his crown. Romero defeated and captured him, then blinded him and imprisoned him in the monastery of San Julian near Leon, where he died. That is horrible. Horrible, horrible. And let's move on to entry number 20, uh, who is Alfonso V, and he's known as the Noble. So Alfonso V, the Noble of Spain, born 994, question mark, died 1027. King of Austrias and Leon, 999 to 1027. During his minority, the Moors under Al-Mansur were severely defeated. He gave his charter to Leon and was killed at the siege of Visu. And that's all they have to say about Alfonso V. Okay, and with that, let's go to break. And when we come back, we will still be in the, Spain, the Spanish Alfonso's. And welcome back. Our next five entries, we are still in the Spanish Alfonso's. We have Alfonso the 6th through the 11th. So 6th through 11th. So Alfonso the 6th is entry number 21. And let me make sure I've got the right one. Okay. Alfonso the 6th. And they don't seem to have any nicknames for him, at least not in the beginning. So let's see if he has any nicknames. Born 1030, died 1109, inheriting Leon in 1065 from his father, Ferdinand I. He was defeated by his brother, Sancho II of Castile, and found refuge at Toledo in the court of its Moorish ruler, Almoman. Upon Sancho's assassination in 1072, Alfonso became king of Castile, and the following year he seized Galicia from his brother, Garcia. Driving south to the line of the Togue, he captured Toledo, Toledo in 1085 and made it his capital. Though defeated by the Moors in 1086 and 1108, his reign is memorable for the great impetus given to the Christian re reconquest of Spain and especially for the feats of arms in the Cid. He was succeeded by his daughter, Uraca, who married Alfonso I of Aragon in 1109. Okay, and so no nicknames for him. <laughs> But our next three do have nicknames. Um, so entry number 22, which is Alfonso VII, was also known as the Emperor. So Alfonso VII was also known as Alfonso the Emperor. Born 1104, died 1157. The son of Uraca, Queen of Castile and Leon, and her first husband, Raymond of Burgundy. He succeeded at her death in 1126 and soon recovered those parts of Castile, which his stepfather Alfonso I of Aragon had seized. Obtaining the hegemony of the Christian states in Spain, he had himself crowned emperor in 1135. The most celebrated of his victories over the Moors was his conquest of Almeria in 1147. He bequeathed Castile to Sancho III and Leon to Ferdinand II. And entry number 23 is Alfonso VIII, or Alfonso the Noble. So Alfonso the Noble, born 1155, died 1214. Son and, and successor of Sancho III, he was king of Castile from 1158 to his death. When he was old enough to assume the government, he quickly proved himself an able ruler, bringing order to his chaotic realm. He married Eleanor, daughter of Henry II of England. Their daughter, Blanche of Castile, became the wife of Louis VIII of France. Alfonso enlarged his kingdom at the expense of his neighbors and in 1177 captured Coenza. Navarre, Aragon, and Leon, forming a coalition with the Moors, attacked him. Defeated by the Moors in 1195, subsequently he led a Christian coalition against the Almohades, whom he defeated at Navas de Tol Tulsa. In 1212, 
that Palencia in 1212 or 1214, he founded Spain, oh, Spain's first university. Cool. So he founded Spain's first university, but later removed to Salamanca. He was succeeded by his son, Henry I, who ruled from 1214 to 1217. Okay, and for entry number 24, uh, which is Alfonso X, if you remember at the beginning, the very first entry Alfonsine tables, the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, referenced Alfonso X. So let's go there now and find out what the Alphonsine tables are all about, as well as learn about Alfonso X. He was surnamed, so this, this one, uh, even though Alfonso VI had zero nicknames, or, or as known as, um, Alfonso X has three. <laughs> he was surnamed the Astronomer, the Philosopher, or the Wise, or El, El Sabio. King of Leon and Castile from 1221 to 1284 succeeded his father Ferdinand III in 1252. As early as the storming of Seville in 1248, he had given indications of his courageous spirit. But instead of wisely attempting to expel the Moors and subdue the nobility, he lavished the resources of his kingdom in fruitless efforts to secure his election to the imperial throne of Germany. Rudolf of Habsburg was chosen in opposition to him, nor would Pope Gregory X recognize his claims even to the Duchy of Swabia. Soon after, his throne was threatened by the turbulence of the nobility and his wars with the Moors. The latter, however, he defeated in 1263 in a bloody battle and took them from Ziers, Medina, Sedinio, San Lucar, and a part of Algarve, uniting at the same time Mercia with Castile. In 1271, an insurrection broke out in his dominions, at the head of which was his son, Philip. Three years elapsed before it was finally quelled. In the mildness with which he treated the rebels, men saw only indications of his weakness. But afterwards, determining to employ more stringent measures, his son, Sancho, also rebelled, and in 1282 deprived him of his throne. He now sought the help of the Moors, but after fruitless efforts to recover his power, he died at Seville, 1284, April 4th. Okay, here's where the tables come in. His improved tables, still known under the name of Alphonsine Tables, were completed in 1252 at the cost of 40,000 ducats, an unprecedented sum to be expended on such a work in those days. Okay, so it doesn't really tell us what they are. Let's uh, take a look at the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 to see if it can shed any more light on those and on his life. Alfonso X, this one only says he was called the Wise, born 1221, died 1284, son and successor of Ferdinand III as King of Castile and Leon from 1252 to 1284. He continued his father's campaigns against the Moors, capturing Cadiz in 1262. He renounced his claim to the throne of Germany in 1275. So here it says that he renounced it. The year of his heir, Ferdinand died in battle with the Moors. In 1282, a civil war ensued. Alfonso, having disinherited his second son, Sancho, destined to succeed him as Sancho IV in favor of Ferdinand's son. Though a poor administrator and incapable of controlling his turbulent nobles, he did much to advance Spain's cultural progress, fostering the schools at Seville, Murcia, and Salamanca. The compilation of Lociet Peritidas, a compendium of legal knowledge, was due to his patronage, as was also the revision of the Ptolemaic planetary tables. Okay, so here we go. This is where the tables come in. So... The Alphonsine tables are the Ptolemaic planetary tables, and that was completed in 1252. He is the reputed author of Songs to the Virgin, a collection of Galatian dialect. So that, that's pretty cool. So, so we got more, a little bit more information um, about the tables, at least. Um, but they seem to have sugarcoated... Uh, 
a little bit, like saying he renounced his claim whenever it was actually, we just read that he lost the throne to Germany. Right. And entry number 25 before break is Alfonso the 11th. So, oh, excuse me. The Alfonso the 11th, born 1311, died 1350, son and successor of Ferdinand IV, King of Castile and Leon. His campaign against the Moors of Granada led to their reinforcement from Morocco and their seizure of Gibraltar in 1333. Heading a Christian coalition, including Portugal, Navarre, and Aragon, he won the important victory of Tarifa, also called the Battle of Salada, in 1340, and four years later took Algeciras, dying while besieging Gibraltar, he was succeeded by his son, Peter I, the Cruel. That's not good to know. That, that's not a good name to be known by, the Cruel. Um, so there we go. We'll end uh, with Alfonso the Eleventh, and we'll go ahead and go to break, and we'll continue the last two Alfonsos when we get back. And welcome back. In our next five entries, uh, we do end the Alfonso's with Alfonso the 12th and Alfonso the 13th. And then we go to Alford, Henry, or Henry Alford. Then, a name that everyone is familiar with, Alfred the Great. And then we end with Alfred or Allard of Beverly. And for Alfonso the 12th and 13th, uh, we are going to be in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 and then switch over to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So Alfonso XII, King of Spain, only son of Queen Isabella II and King Francis of Assisi. Born 1857, November 28th, when the Revolution of 1868 broke out, he left Spain with his mother until 1874 resided partly in France and partly in Austria. In the latter year, he came forward as claimant of the throne, and near the end of the year was proclaimed king by General Martinez Campos. On his accession, su succeeded in putting an end to the Carlist struggle, and thereafter reigned in peace till his death. He first married Princess Maria de las Mercedes, and about a year and a half after her demise, celebrated his second nuptials with Archduchess Maria Cristina of Austria, died 1885, November 25th. So that's what uh, the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 says about him. So let's find out what the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 says. So Alfonso XII, King of Spain, born November 28, 1857, died November 24, 1885. The only son of Queen Isabella II, he left Spain with his mother in 1868, when she was driven from the throne by the Carlist revolt. Two years later, Isabella abdicated in his favor. Alfonso was educated in France, England, and Austria. Proclaimed king by General Martinez de Campos in 1874, he entered Madrid early the next year, acclaimed by most Spaniards. With the help of Martinez de Campos and Canavas del Castillo, he ended the Carlist struggle in 1876. His second wife, Maria Christina, Archduchess of Austria from 1858 to 1929, bore him two daughters and a posthumous son, Alfonso XIII. Okay, so, oh, I see. Whenever they had the dates here, 1858 to 1929, I got a little confused. I was like, well, they weren't married because he died. No, she was Archduchess of Austria from those, those dates. Okay. All right, I just, I got a little confused there. Okay, and our 27th entry and the end of the Alfonso's. Alfonso the 13th, so let's go to back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. For Alfonso the 13th, King of Spain, son of Alfonso the 12th and Archduchess Maria Cristina of Austria, born 1886, May 17th. His education was conducted with exceptional care, owing to the delicate condition of his health. During his minority, his mother acted as queen regent. He was crowned 1902, May 17th, and subsequently manifested 
a tendency toward liberalism, though he made no display of special fitness in the conduct of public affairs. On February 8, 1906, the Spanish premier announced the engagement of Alfonso XIII to Princess Ina of Battenberg, a granddaughter of the late Queen Victoria of England, and on the 31st of May, the wedding was solemnized in the church of San Geronimo, Madrid. As the wedding procession was returning from the church to the palace, a bomb wrapped in roses ooh, was thrown from the balcony of the house in the Calmayer, Grand Street, and striking immediately in front of the royal carriage, exploded with terrific force. It had been aimed at the royal couple, but was deflected by an electric wire and fell in the midst of the crowd in the street, killing 24 persons and seriously wounding about 80 others. A small fragment of the exploded missile struck the king in the breast, but was turned aside by the chain of one of his decorations. The queen's bridal dress was one of his decorations. Oh, I'm sorry, the queen's bridal dress was torn and bespattered with blood. The assassin, one Manuel Ormatillo Morales, son of a wealthy manufacturer living near Barcelona, escaped out of the city, but was arrested on suspicion a few days later in a village not far from the capital. As he was being conducted to prison, he drew a pistol from his clothing and shot himself dead. It was learned subsequently that his deed had been prompted by his association with anarchists during a residence, residence in Germany. This was the second attempt on the life of Alfonso by means of explosive bombs, the first having been made in Paris the previous year during his visit to that city. Okay, let, that's... Oh, that's pretty bad. Um, let's see what the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 says. So he was still alive when the 1909 version was written. So he was still alive then. He died in 1941. Okay, Alfonso XIII, King of Spain, born Madrid, May 17, 1886, died in Rome, February 28, 1941. The posthumous son of Alfonso XII, he became king at birth, his mother continuing as regent until he formally ascended to the throne on May 17, 1902. He married Princess Victoria of Battenberg, granddaughter of Queen Victoria of England, on May 31, 1906. An attempt was made to assassinate the royal couple on their wedding day. The execution in 1909 of Francesco Ferrer, accused of plotting a revolution and the establishment of an anti-Catholic state roused considerable ill will toward the young monarch, but clemency shown in 1913 to a man who attempted his assassination and his policy of keeping Spain a neutral in World War I restored his popularity. However, is his acquiescence in the Primo de Rivera dictatorship from 1923 to 1930 was widely criticized, rapidly deteriorating political and economic conditions forced him on April 14, 1931, to suspend the exercise of the royal power and go into exile. After the Civil War of 1936 to 1939, General Franco made it plain that Alfonso was not wanted and he never sought to recover his throne, but he delayed his abdication in favor of his third son, Don Juan, until February 13, 1941, a fortnight before his death. He is buried in the Escriol. And thus ends the Alfonso entries. Okay, our next entry, or our 28th entry, is Alfred, Henry, or Henry Alfred. He was an English clergyman and scholar, and this is from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. He was born London, October 7, 1810, died Canterbury, January 12, 1871, a Cambridge graduate, he was Dean of Canterbury from 1857 to 1871. He is best known for his edition of the New Testament in Greek from 1841 to 1861, which, incorporating the results of contemporary German biblical scholarship, formed a landmark in New Testament study in England and America. He was the first editor of the Contemporary Review. So he sounds like a pretty cool person. And... Entry number 29 is Alfred the Great. So everyone should know about Alfred the Great, but we will see what the encyclopedias has, 
have to say about him. And for Alfred the Great, or Alfred Surname the Great, we go to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And it says he lived from 849 to 901, born Wintage Berkshire. His father was Ethelwolf, son of Egbert, king of the West Saxons. And though the youngest of four sons, he succeeded to the crown at the age of 23 on the death of his brother, Ethelred. He had already given proofs of high ability as a general in repelling the incessant incursions of the Danes, at that time the most terrible warriors in Europe. After he succeeded to the throne, he redoubled his exertions to restore the independence of his country. At first, he strove without success, while the Danes continued to pour fresh bands upon the coast, and the Anglo-Saxons either bent to the yoke or forsook their homes. In 878, the invaders had completely overrun the whole kingdom of the West Saxons. Alfred the Great, no longer able to collect an effective army, was obliged to seek security in the hills and forests, and for some time found refuge in a cowherd's hut. He still, however, kept up some communication with his friends, and as soon as the people began once more to arm against the Danes, he built a stronghold on an elevation or island, still known as Athelney, i.e. the Island of the Nobles, or the Royal Island, amid the marshes of Somersetshire, or Somersetshire, to which he summoned his faithful followers. From this fortress he made frequent successful sallies against the enemy, and after a comparatively short time he found himself at the head of a considerable army, with which he totally routed them 878 near Eddington in Wiltshire. After holding out for some time in a stronghold to which they had retreated, the invaders capsulated. Alfred the Great accepted hostages and their solemn oath to quit his territory of Wessex and receive baptism. Their king, Godrin, or Guthrin, was baptized with 30 of his followers and ever after proved faithful in his allegiance to Alfred the Great. After this decisive victory, the power of Alfred the Great steadily increased, both by land and sea, for already he had built England's first fleet. He beat the Danes in numerous battles, and gradually their possessions were con confined to the north and east coasts. In 886, Alfred the Great, without any formal installation, became recognized as the sovereign of all England, a title to which he had proved his right by the most indisputable of arguments. During the ensuing years of peace, he rebuilt the, the cities that had suffered most during the war, particularly London, erected new fortresses, and trained the people to the use of arms, while he encouraged husbandry and other useful arts, and founded those wise laws and institutions which contributed so much to the greatness and welfare of England. The grateful reverence of prosperity has, as is usual with mankind, become prodigal in its awards, ascribing to Alfred the Great the entire credit of having established many beneficial institutions, some of which had already existed among the Anglo-Saxons, but were by him revived, remodeled, and improved. Of his political institutions, little is known beyond the fact that he compiled a code of laws, divided England into counties, hundreds and tithings, and thoroughly reformed the administration of justices by making these tithings, hundreds, etc., so far as was practicable, practicable, okay, yeah, practicable, reasonable for the offenses committed within their jurisdiction. William of Malsbury, with enthusiastic exaggeration, declared that, quote, a purse of money or a pair of golden bracelets, end quote, might in Alfred the Great's day be exposed for weeks in complete safety on the common highways. Oh, that's cool. Alfred the Great is also said, though erroneously, as is now believed to have been the author of Quote, trial by jury, end quote. In an age of ignorance and barbarism, Alfred, Alfred the Great was an accomplished scholar and a zealous patron of learning. No prince of his age did so much for the diffusion of knowledge, and few monarchs at any time have shown an equal zeal for the instruction of their people. He caused many manuscripts to be translated into Anglo-Saxon from Latin, and himself translated several works such as Bothius on the Consolation of Philosophy, the History of Orsius, Orosius, I'm sorry, Bede's Ecclesiastical History, 
and selections from the soliloquies of St. Augustine. Among his original works in the Anglo-Saxon language are Laws of the West Saxons, Institutes, Chronicles, Meditations, etc. All his works strikingly indicate the serious, elevated, and yet practical character of the man. In his translations, Alfred the Great is frequently more than a translator. He adds his own reflections to those of his author and expands the geographical outline of Rosius by a chart of Germany, an account of the Baltic and the icy regions towards the North Pole, which are reasonably correct considering the means which, which then existed for acquiring a knowledge of these places. Several works attributed to Alfred the Great are believed not to be genuine. The peaceful labors of Alfred the Great were 893 interrupted by a fresh invasion of Northmen under Heston or Hastings, more formidable than any that had yet been attempted in his reign. The defection of the East Anglians and Northumbrians added to the difficulties with which he had to contend. Alfred the Great, however, was fully prepared, and though during their protracted stay in his dominions, the invaders overran a large extent of the country and committed considerable depredations. They are beaten in almost every encounter with the English and finally quelled. Alfred the Great died in 1901, October 27th, age 52, leaving his country in the enjoyment of comparative peace and prosperity, the fruit of that wise and energetic rule which has made his memory dear to all generations of Englishmen as that of their best and greatest king. We cannot perhaps realize the resolute patience of Alfred the Great in his political and military capacity, for we have a very imperfect knowledge of the obstacles in his way, but it must excite both our wonder and reverence to behold a man pursuing sol solitarily in the midst of ferocity, barbarism, and ignorance, and in spite of the perpetual pains with which his body was racked, so many various and noble schemes for the civilization and true glory of his country. The most authentic and interesting of the original sources of information on the history of Alfred the Great is the life by Asser, Bishop of Sherborne, a book distinguished by extreme simplicity and affection. The best edition is that of Wise from Oxford, 1782, though its authenticity has been questioned, modern scholars accept it. A Latin edition is printed in Petri and Sharp's Monuments Historian Britannica, 1848, and an English translation may be found in J.A. Giles's Six Old English Chronicles, 1848. There are Modern Lives uh, by J.A. Giles, 1848, 2nd edition, 1854, R. Pauley, 1853, and T. Hughes, 1869, Freeman's Old English History, 1883, and Norman Conquest, 1870 to to 1876, may be consulted with profit, and Stubbs's Constitutional History of England, Volume 1, gives the constitutional aspect of Alfred's reign. A most attractive account is to be found in the chapters of Patriotic Panergic in Green's Conquest of England. So there we go. We have Alfred the Great, and I hope you learned something new about him. I did. I certainly did. I, I didn't realize uh, that he was peaceful. I thought he was just uh, some sort of warrior, um, which is also cool, but I'm glad that he was a promoter of peace and and, uh, and knowledge. Okay. And our very last entry, or our 30th entry, is from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, which is Alfred or Allard of Beverly. And uh, he was a chronicler, flourished in 1143. His nine books of annals or history of the British kingdoms to 1129 is largely devoted to a fabulous history of Britain. It is of little use to the historical student as it adds nothing to what is found in earlier authorities. The best manuscript of the work is among the Hingwork manuscripts and has never been printed. So the best work has never been printed. Go figure. Thomas Hearn printed an inferior Bodleian manuscript in 1716. Okay, so there we go. All 30 entries. Thank you so much for uh, being with me today.
appreciate it, and I hope you have a wonderful week and a safe week. And before you go, let's go ahead and do the quote of the month by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Whatever you think you can do or believe you can do, begin it. Action has magic, grace, and power in it. So with that, and in Prue Warren's um, words, may every day be like a new year to you. And have a wonderful, blessed week. And with that, I bid you adieu.